Don't be a Windy City wanker. Learn jujitsu, boxing, kickboxing, judo, wrestling, and get fit by visiting chicagoschoolofgrappling.com. Early 2017, so last year, I was having some pretty uh, dark thoughts, and it was like 3.30 in the morning, and I just wasn't feeling my best, and um, I didn't want to drink, I didn't want to do anything else. So I said, you know, either I'm going to sit here and deal with this, and, you know, feel these feelings, feel this darkness, or I'm going to go run. And then I went and ran at 4 in the morning. I think it was like 21 miles or something ridiculous like that, and I hadn't even done a long run that year yet. And uh, it was painful, it was hard, but I felt like during that time it allowed me to not think about the negative things that were in my mind. It started from, honestly, a point of desperation. Welcome to Real Fitness Bios, a show where we talk to bodybuilders, trainers, fighters, gym owners, and more as they talk about how they transform their bodies and their lives. I'm your host, John Lee, and today we're talking to Laquan Bailey, professional bodybuilder and personal trainer located in the heart of Streeterville and River North of Chicago. When you think of stories of how people got fit, you probably think about losing weight. But for a lot of people out there, it's also about putting on muscle. Laquan stands at 6'4 and 230 pounds, but used to be super skinny at 160 pounds. Now, like some of you, Laquan grew up all over the U.S. as a military kid in Maine, Texas, Honolulu, San Diego, and Chicago. However, his inspiration for fitness is really rooted in his favorite childhood cartoons. Were you were you a pretty active kid? I was active in the sense of I was outside a lot, but I was really into like... Gundam and Pokemon and Dragon Ball Z and things like that and honestly I feel like my my DBZ anime and then my comic obsession is really what drove me into fitness later on I was a really small kid growing up so I feel like I looked at you know Superman actually my two favorite superheroes are Superman and Spawn which is super random right um, but I looked at their physiques and I remember thinking to myself as a kid like wow I really want to look like that and I was very very small I mean I was you know, below average height and super skinny most of my childhood. I didn't really start growing until I was like 12, 13, and I didn't get to this height until I was 19. How so, tall are you now? 6'4". Wow. And how much do you weigh? 231. I hear you. I loved Dragon Ball Z, and I loved Dragon Ball, the original one before it came out. I had this poster for Goku, and he was doing Kamehameha, and I just see the, the definition in his arms, and I like oh my god and you're like there's no way when you look at him yeah you're like that's not possible i like how though we have this root of geeking out oh um, that's where it always starts this comic seriously i i, I would you know if i'll be super geeky too is in dragon ball goku and krillin would have to go through all this training for master roshi and i grew up in edgewater okay and i would run on sundays i do long runs like seven miles ten miles and i would work out and i would i would seeing them push themselves as kids cartoon characters but still kids would make me push myself when i would i would run like seven miles come back and i lived in a high-rise i would go up all the floors of the high-rise by stairs come back down because they i would it was like oh it's parallel to them running up this mountain with milk crates in their you know right you're like, like it makes sense same same yeah mm-hmm. trying to get to the one finger handstand push-ups like 
even though we're like, oh, it's a little, it's a little rough. <laughs> yeah. Not saying it's not possible, but it's not possible. Yeah. Yeah. So you grew up, but we see the fascination of you wanting to be just like these figures that you're you're growing up seeing everywhere. Mm-hmm. But how did you really get into like exercising and? So I'd say I was 13, 12 or 13, and we moved to um, San Diego from Honolulu, and I started playing basketball, and that's when I decided to start lifting and doing conditioning work on my own. I would go outside on a Saturday morning and shoot, you know, a thousand threes, you know, as long as I could, and try to shoot, and I would do my own suicides, because I started so late that I was not good at all, like I, I really wasn't good. and. So I would buy DVDs on how to get better and I pushed myself through conditioning, still watching DBZ and shows like that. And I would look at it as, you know, all I knew was Goku trained at 50 times normal gravity. So if I do suicide, so I throw up, I'm probably gonna get to where I wanna be. And though my skills still develop very slowly, I found that the harder I worked, the more people couldn't catch me on the court. And that even translated all the way to football in college. I still wasn't the best player because I was very small in terms of like being skinny and I was starting to grow at that time. So conditioning was a breeze for me. I remember our conditioning test, they're like freshmen, you're gonna be so nervous, blah, blah, yelling at us. And I probably, I finished first out of the whole team. It was a breeze for me because I've always found conditioning as an escape. Yeah. Before I got into bodybuilding, before I got into lifting, it was conditioning that was my favorite first. Yeah. I would talk about that. Um, how do you mentally push yourself when when it's tough? I look at it like, I guess it goes back to when I was 13. I know that it's the thing that I'm the best at. Like it's what I'm the best at. You know, we all have things that we are strong in. I feel like I was never the strongest, never the fastest, but I knew that I could go if I believed. And so for me, it's, I literally take it one step at a time. Or if I'm mapping out a distance, I'm like, okay, once I hit the halfway point, my mindset completely changes. It's a struggle for me, the first half of anything. The first half of a 5K, the first half of a 10K, the first half of a marathon. The first half is always hard. But once I've already gone further than I have to go left, it's an afterthought. Yeah. And if anything, I usually speed up. It's just, I don't like um, feeling like I can't do something. And for me, running and conditioning work in general, where it's suicides on a on a football field, sprints on a football field, sprints on a track, anything that gets my heart rate elevated like that, I love the way it feels. I, this is not safe, but I love that metal taste in your mouth when you know you've pushed too far. That's when I know that, all right, I taste that weird metal taste, we're good, we did it, we got it done, it's time to hydrate, let's go eat, make sure we're, we're good for the rest of the day, but I love that feeling of being pushed to my limit, especially in cardio. Lifting is more of a newer thing in the last 10 or 12 years, but before that it was all conditioning all the time. I am so happy that we're actually talking because I see a lot of similarities between us. And I, I'll tell this, my one of my professors here, fantastic, Sean Johnson, he's he's a digital marketing professor. And we, we had a conversation, I actually interviewed him for one of my episodes on the other podcast. And you know he he has this complex where he's like, man, I'm not. I didn't go to business school. I didn't. I don't. I only have a bachelor's mm. from Colorado, the small college. Like he says this stuff. And I worked as a server, and he's like, but now he he runs a venture capital firm, right? He's like killing it, and he has he has a beautiful family. He's mm-hmm. so happy. He's a great guy, and he always talks about you know I realize I wasn't the smartest guy, but I could outwork anyone. 
Mm-hmm. And the same thing with me is I had been doing martial arts since I was seven. In Taekwondo, and then I moved over into Jiu-Jitsu, and, and I competed in, in both and all this stuff. And my thing was like, you know what? I'm not the strongest person. I'm not the fastest person by, by far, but I have the best endurance. And because that's where I'm, I, I can put myself into the fire and, and really come out of it stronger. I could do that repeatedly, and I could do, um, I can grind it out. And I think that sounds extremely similar to what that's, you're saying. That's how I feel, always. That's how life kind of works. You have to grind it out. And especially if you're trying to get fit, you it's a lifestyle thing. Bruce Lee right, has this quote of saying, I don't care about the guy who does, um, what is it? He does 10,000 kicks in one day. I care about the guy who does one kick 10,000, like over 10,000 days. Mm-hmm. And... That's exactly it, and um, we are, you have these people too who, who I think really need to know that you got to really put into the grind, especially with conditioning. And you hear this all the time about oh, cardio, right? I don't want to do cardio. And you know what's been interesting with you is I followed you on Instagram, obviously. You have a lot of pictures of you running, and normally what you always see from bodybuilding, we we'll get into this much later, mm-hmm. is I only see people lifting, dudes lifting, showing off abs. I never see them running ever. Mm-hmm. It's just nothing like doing some actual sprints. Yeah. There's nothing like running 10 miles because what you go through during that 10 miles, it's, it's different than bench pressing 300 pounds or 400 pounds. I think they both have their place, but I think they should both be done equally. Yeah. So when you're running mm-hmm. and when you're pushing yourself through yes. this, what's going through your head though? Because it's the conditioning part from, my, from what I've learned. It is a physical part, but it's a huge psychological part. For me, it's about goal setting, typically. Um, if I have a goal in mind, like I know the last two years I've run the Chicago Marathon, and then last year I stepped it up and did Chicago and then New York, which are only three weeks apart. Um, and then earlier this year I had the Arnold Classic, which I competed in, in men's physique, and I so I, when I was running leading up to that, I had a goal in mind. I've learned through, body, even through bodybuilding and through running, especially distance, that it's honestly about finishing. Like you have to understand that it's gonna hurt, it's gonna suck. Dieting down to four percent body fat sucks, right? Running twenty six point two miles sucks. I don't care what the fastest runner in the world says. Oh, I love it. You love when you're done. Like you don't actually love the pain of it. Yeah. Um, I feel like that pain teaches, at least has taught me how to overcome other obstacles in my life. Um, in college, I had a bit of a breakdown my sophomore year. Um, where I you know, was experiencing some self-harm issues and um, I found that's when I really got into lifting and running together because that was a way for me to get away from those thoughts I had. So originally, I, you know, I wasn't sure I was even going to say this here, but um, I think it was early 2017, so last year, I was having some pretty uh, dark thoughts and it was like 3.30 in the morning and I just wasn't feeling my best and um, I didn't want to drink, I didn't want to do anything else. So I said, you know, either I'm gonna sit here and deal with this and you know, feel these feelings, feel this darkness, or I'm gonna go run. And then I went and ran at four in the morning. I ran from, at the time I lived at 805 LaSalle, I ran from there to Wrigley to Northwestern, all the way back down. So like Evanston, all the way back down. I think it was like 21 miles or something ridiculous like that. And I hadn't even done a long run that year yet. And uh, it was painful, it was hard, but I felt like during that time, it allowed me to not think about the negative things that were in my mind. 
you know, my business wasn't going well. I had just become an independent trainer. I was working in the Willis Tower. Um, I got fired. Um, I missed a class and got fired from there. And it was one of those situations where I was my lowest had been in a long time. And that's actually how I started running so early in the morning. It's because I couldn't sleep at night. And now, of course, it's become a much healthier situation. I still get up at 4.30, but now it's out of habit. I'm still going to bed at 10 or 11. Five hours isn't the great amount of sleep, but for me, it works. I take naps in the middle of the day because I'm a trainer. So I'm taking care of myself now, but it started from, honestly, a point of desperation. I understand. I understand. And, and it sounds like for you that when you are, that running is not just this exercise to get out, but it is this release, this release of emotional, psychological buildup and tension that you just need to. It's almost like when you run, the wind is taking off these pieces that are, these scales on you that are disparate and not not healthy for you in a psychological manner. I agree. So it's we good all, to see that release. We all cope in different ways. And for me, I feel like I can truly get over my issues when I'm exercising. And as much as I love posting the strong lifts, honestly, it's running for me that really gets me over my hurdles, at least the ones that I have psychologically. Yeah. Any doubts I have about business, any doubts I have about doing all this on my own, it's running is really what helps me. What, what has been... Uh, up to this point, and even if it's as you were 13, what has been the the hardest hurdle to get over, but to keep you motivated um, psychologically or emotionally? Um, you know, mom's gonna hate this, but I uh, I think my dad not being around was a problem for me. Um, he used to tease me pretty bad when I would visit him in the summers mm. about my, you know. Dragon Ball Z obsession and about like how I loved my superheroes and like honestly when his friends weren't around he would read comics with me we went we watched Spawn together we went to see the most terrible Batman movie ever uh, but I think it was Batman and Robin the one with yeah. Arnold Schwarzenegger in it yeah. terrible film chill out yes um, uh, Mr. Freeze terrible movie but Joel Schumacher seeing that with my father was one of my best memories I ever had with him um, but he was a young you know my parents are young parents so I had to be eight when we're talking about this and he was probably 25 26 and when his friends would be over and they'd be drinking and partying they would he would like make fun of things that I did and so like I had a lot of doubt after that I always felt like anything that I was going to do was going to be heavily judged by people close to me and my mother never judged me through anything like she knew I was going to be a tall person because my dad's 6'3 and she's 5'7 so she knew I was gonna be tall at some point but she never pushed me to play sports she never pushed me to do anything except go outside, be active for a certain amount of time, and you can play your Game Boy whenever you want. Just make sure your grades are good, and we're good. Mm-hmm. Those are all the rules I had as a kid. That's it. But it's crazy because no matter what she did, I still have those memories in the back of my mind of that self-doubt and not feeling good enough or only good enough when other people aren't around and things like that. So that's how it, I'd say, affected me growing up. Yeah. And you can see how that foundation has really transpired, but it could have been very dangerous. Oh, yeah. It could have been, you had two paths, and it could have been, I use this, and I use this path to either self-deprecate and sit down and go, go further into the darkness, or I use this as fuel to really, to really transform myself and to move. One thing I've noticed in fitness, it seems like people don't like to talk about how they make mistakes you know all these big name trainers I, I see on the internet it seems like they 
they look like they're perfect. Like they've always had it under control. They've always had it going well. And one thing I like to th do through my Instagram, at least, is show that it's not it's not that easy. Like I'll even say, like, hey, this was a slow month, but hey, we're still still meeting the day at six a.m. Let's get this workout in and let's have a great day. It might sound cheesy or corny, or my post might seem repetitive, but I hammer that through. I hammer it into my post because for one, it's what I'm feeling. And two, I want to help other trainers who are trying to leave the big box gym, the comfort of a big box gym, and go do this on their own because there is so much more opportunity out here right. if you try yourself. So that's why I hammer those thoughts on. Okay, so you first started off with this conditioning piece. Mm -hmm. uh, you played basketball, football in college. And track. And track. In college, so you're just yep. super active guy, mm -hmm. but small guy. Still, you said yeah. you were still skinny. I was You're skinny. I was tall at this. I was like six three, yeah. almost six four at this point in college. But I was probably one hundred and sixty five pounds. Wow. Yeah. Oh so I was God. little. I mean, I didn't have hair on my legs until I was twenty. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like I was just a late bloomer. Yeah. Yeah. Recently, your voice has dropped. It's 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 dropping. <laughs> we're getting there. <laughs> but okay, so you do all this stuff. Mm-hmm. And how did you? And after college, did you work? Did you go straight to being a trainer? So um, I was, so 2012, I actually um, was kicked out of school. Um, I was not doing well. I had like a relationship that didn't go well. And um, I hit a really dark point. That was like the time where I hit my rock bottom. Um, tried to harm myself pretty bad. Luckily there was someone there who got me out of that situation. I don't like to go into that, but that's what happened. Um, but I went back home. My mom had just moved to Wrigleyville and, um, you know, my little sister was going to Blaine Elementary. It's a really nice school right down there. So I came home and had nothing to do. And my neighbor, um, Brad, he had an ATM company. And he said, hey, do you want to work for me at my ATM company? I, you can sit and do, like, processing, answer the phones, like, um, Excel stuff. Because he knows I was a business student. So he knew I, could, I knew how to work, use Excel, right? We learned that as a freshman. So... I was just doing work for him and he paid me pretty well, like 20 bucks an hour for a 20 year old is pretty good living at home. So now I had some money and I enrolled back in school and was working through that. And then fall 2012, I got, I went into export fitness. I was working out there a lot and a trainer named Kofi came up to me and said, Hey man, you're here every day, twice a day. You know, have you ever considered being a trainer? This guy isn't in management, nothing like that. And I said, I don't know, like I don't have any certifications or anything. He's like, honestly, hate this but you don't need one right now like you can come on and we can they take you through some programs and you know we can get you going and so I went home and I told my mom you know I'm going to do my online classes and stuff anyway and I'm like mom you think I should do this and she's like do you think you can make some money I said I don't know but I think I can you know I get a free gym membership out of it and I can you know learn more about fitness and I like this anyway and so I started working at export um, December 2012 now when you were at Willis what was that so that's why I left Export. I actually got a job at Tone Fitness in the Willis Tower, which was new. It was brand new gym they put in there. They part of the Metropolitan Club. I was the first trainer hired. Um, they like came recruited me through Facebook because one of the girls who manages there taught classes, and I always taught a class after hers. And so she knew me. It was really polite. I would come in and like shake people's hands, high five. And she's like, "Oh, this guy's got great energy." So very cool. All right. And so after Willis, mm -hmm. well, you start your own. Mm -hmm. Now, you train people mainly in Streeterville or you're all over the place? Streeterville. I actually, Streeterville um, River North, I rent space at the Flats in 108 West Chicago. 
So it's a new, it's an old building, but a new space. Um, we pay rent as trainers and we can bring as many clients as we want. And so that's where I train. Very cool. What type of equipment do you have? We actually have everything, which is nice. It's more of a boxing style gym, which is cool. Like we have a nice giant ring in the middle with, with uh, machines on the side and then uh, free weights on the other side. And then a f class area in the back. So there's only five of us down there. So it's never really that crazy. I mean, six o'clock on a Tuesday, every gym everywhere is crazy. So it gets a little wild then, but it's been a really great setup and they've got a cool bunch of uh, great initiatives going there. So it's gonna be fun. From your different clientele that you get, because you have a wide range, right? You probably very have true. small women, probably mm -hmm. big dudes, older people, young people, and you're this very physically fit person who has practiced what you preach. Uh, what are the common questions? First of all, what are the common goals that you get from your clients? Goals, actually, people don't usually believe in themselves. So they come in with pretty small goals. Like I'll have a guy come in that's 300 pounds and wants to be, you know, that should be around 210. And he'll be like, I just want to lose 10 pounds because he doesn't believe that he can lose more weight. Um, I kind of have a lot of people coming in. They're intimidated by the way that I look. They would actually rather work with someone who, I've heard this a bunch of times, are is more normal looking. And I don't know what that means because this is my normal, right? But they want someone who's uh, less crazy is what I've heard. Like, oh, you're crazy because you do all these things. But they don't know my story, right? So with clients, the goals, you know, they range. There's so many different ranges. But I find, like I said, main point is they don't believe in themselves. Um, and I think what makes my training a little different than others is my focus is actually more on what's going on inside your head as opposed to the actual movements. Um, a lot of people aren't very coordinated. Like the average person is not as coordinated as you are for sure. You know, you've been using your body in ways since age of six that people don't even do, have never done at 40, you know what I mean? And I've noticed that like a lot of people can't, they like, they just, their mind doesn't know how to do little small movements that we do every day. Like a hip hinge, for instance, is the hardest thing in the world to teach, but it's the easiest thing to say, hips, back. But people are like, they don't, you know, they're moving around and you're like, you're like, no, just like hips back. Or I'll tell, uh, like I have a guy who used to play uh, defensive back and I tell him athletic position, he hinges his hips right away. But a lot of people don't know what those things mean. So I feel like it's the, the hardest part is the education process on basic movements. Because once you get them there, people start to do things they've never done and then they're fired up and now they've exceeded their goal and they're loving it because they don't. They're like, I didn't even know that I could do that. And it's like, yeah, that's, you can do that. Okay, now for these clients though, let's, I'm gonna take, on the spectrum, I'm gonna take the most extreme version. Okay. Let's say we have a small person mm -hmm. who, I don't know, we're gonna say like five, three, a mm -hmm. hundred pounds. Or maybe that's too exaggerating. No, no, but, that's fine. But they want to gain muscle mass. Mm -hmm. And then we're going to have this other extreme version where we have someone who's 300 pounds mm -hmm. and we're going to say that they're uh, six feet, let's say six feet tall, uh, 300 pounds. They want to lose weight. And let's just say that the young, the, young, the smaller person is maybe late 20s-ish and I'm completely making stuff up. And yeah. the older, the heavier person is going to be 40. Okay. What would you recommend to those two different types of bodies? Well, I have to start off with a conversation first. So the first thing I would say to both of them is, because they, they both want to get to a certain point, to the person who's larger, I would ask them, what you show me what you were like at the best shape of your life. Especially mm -hmm. if they're 40, they're probably not in the best shape of their life. Now, sometimes they are. 
but most of the time they're not. So to them, they might be when they were 17 and 220 pounds. Now they were still probably overweight at the time, but I'm like, okay, first step is getting back to that. Because with weight loss, I mean, uh, uh, this is after injury screening, right? Yeah. Okay, yeah, so yeah. this is after injury screening. We know everything about them, you know, with their health concerns. I would tell them first goal is to get back to where you've been before because that's a lot easier to like quantify and to imagine with the weight loss client. So we'll take them there. Um, I would learn more about their day-to-day life. Like if they travel for work, we have more of an uphill battle, right? So it, it's not about you just nine to five and go home. Like you're in a car all day, you're on planes all the time. So now I'm, I'm gonna talk to them about healthier options within the world they already live in. You can't tell someone who travels for work to prepare five meals a day and carry them in Tupperware. They're not gonna pay the extra baggage fee. To, you know what I mean? They're already coming to you. So you have to understand their lifestyle and then we just kind of deconstruct from there. That's how I would prescribe anything to them after knowing all of their injury concerns and their past training. Now for the smaller person, who wants to gain muscle, I would ask them questions like, you know, what is your family like? You know, are there, do you come from a family of naturally very small people? Um, yes or no, cool. And then we go from there. I, of course, have to amp up their calories, teach them what to eat to gain more muscle, let them know that protein and carbs are their friend. Fat is their friend for health reasons. You don't want their body fat to be too low, but protein and carbs are your friend. Um, a lot of people are like, oh, protein, protein, protein. I'm like, oh, well, I mean, how are you, what energy are you gonna use to even need to need that protein? You're gonna need to eat the carbs, right? So I talked to them about that. And with the people who wanna gain muscle, I have to stress the fact that it's not an overnight process. A lot of people who wanna gain muscle, they look at a picture of like Ronnie Coleman and they're like, I can do that in like six months, right? And you're like, no. Yeah. Like first, there's drugs involved, first of all. And two, like, no. Like, that's not how that works. And, you know, you make it funny for them, you make them laugh, and then you put things into context, and we go basically a pound at a time. Yeah. We look at how much, how long it's going to take to gain a pound and how much of that is muscle, and we map out the process and go from there. Every client, I start them out on three-month program. That way, in three months, we can build new habits, and I can see what they're like. If you, I, if you come into me tomorrow and say, I want to do this, and I'm like, yeah, we can do exactly that, I'm full of shit. Yeah. Like, there's trainers who say that, they're, they're lying to you. Like that's, they don't know you, they don't know how you live, they don't know anything about you. So to make it truly personal, I need that three months of training twice, three times a week. We're gonna get goal, we're gonna get to our goal, we're gonna make progress, but to truly train you properly, I need that time to learn you. And then after that, it's it's a lot easier because I know how, how you react to things and how you are as a person and what you're willing to do to get to your goals. Everyone talks big when they're sitting in front of you when they first meet you, but what are you actually willing to do to get there? Right. And so that's how I gauge it with the most extreme cases and even the, the least. Yeah. If that part is actually the same, it's just you gotta learn them as people first because you, you and I may have similar body types but we're different people. Mm-hmm. So how you and I react to things are, could be the same or totally different. I hear you. And that's the basis of my training, if you will. From the diet perspective though, because while they're with you working out, you're there and you can see, mm-hmm. all right, shoulders up, shoulders taut, uh, hips out, whatever, feet flat, shoulder width apart, but they're at home then. How do you, how do you instill this sense of having a proper diet at home to your, to your clients? I hit them with um, something a coach hit me with a long time ago. What do you want? So when we sit down, it's I ask them, why do you want to lose this weight? Why do you want to put this muscle on? And if it's a sh- more shallow reason, I let them know that, hey, that might get you through the first two weeks. 
but that's not going to get you through an entire program and through changing your life. So when they go home, I ask them, show me what you eat, you know, log it for a little while, send me pictures, give me like your typical week, like let me know what you normally eat so I know what to expect of you. There's no way that someone's going to completely change your diet in a week. Like that's not going to happen typically. I may have had, honestly, I had one guy do that, one, and I believed him. But other than that, no one does it. They're like, oh yeah, I'm eating this, but like I eat three donuts because I was like walking and I saw Dunkin' Donuts. And you're like, oh, well, that's not what I said, but okay. But I appreciate you telling me. So I don't punish my clients when they tell me. And the great thing about the Instagram, Snapchat world, social media is I'm friends with all of my clients on social media, so I watch their stories. I see what they're doing. So if I know you went out last night and had three drinks and you cancel our session and you say you're sick, I know why you're sick. But I'm going to say, hey, next time, just tell me that you went out and that that's what happened. You know, when you build that trust with a client, I feel like they're more willing to do the things you say, especially when it comes to diet nutrition, because though you're not there, you're there. Once you're really in someone's head like that, you're you're there. It's like a parent when you're like, hey, don't, you know, take out the trash today. Did you take out the trash? No. But like every time you're like, you know what? I just got how much probably take out the trash. Like, I don't want to disappoint my mom or my dad. And I don't want to be, I don't want to be a parental figure to my clients but I know that that form of like of training or that the, the way of getting in someone's head like that is the most effective in my opinion because they know they when they're gonna have that fourth drink they're like you know what Quan knows I'm probably gonna have one or two I probably shouldn't have four right. you know he didn't tell me I can't drink he just said don't drink too much I don't believe in cutting out entire food groups I mean, unless you're a vegan or it's religion, you know, religious reasons or something like that, or it's you wanting to change your life, I will never tell a client to come in to cut out an entire food group. Now, switching to healthier options, yes, but I'm not going to tell someone to uh, weight loss clients to stop eating carbs. They're going to die, like yeah. not actually die, but they're not going to be able to do anything, and now they're going to be miserable. And now, if they have, they're instead of eating brown rice, like I should have told them, when they want carbs, they're going to go get half a thing of Dunkin' Donuts and crush them and then come in feeling defeated. And then when their weight's going up and then they're giving me half effort in the gym, now they feel bad about themselves. When if I had just told them like, hey man, it's Friday, you've been killing it, go get you a donut. You know, send me a picture, what kind did you like? Let me see, what you got? Oh, I got the double chocolate. Nice man, enjoy it, let's kill this cardio in the morning. I feel like talking to people like they're people is the best way to get the best results out of them. When we return, Laquan shares what it's like to compete in bodybuilding and men's physique and sheds light on what goes on behind the scenes at these competitions. You're listening to Real Fit Bios. Why don't diets work and why is it so hard to lose fat? I'll give you two reasons, knowledge and accountability. Let me give you two stories too. This guy named Matt came in in February at 252 pounds, and today, he's 209. Alejandro was 290 pounds, today, 244. So why did working with me work for them? Because I kept them accountable as their coach. With JitFit.com, I send you a playlist of randomized one-minute workouts, and you follow along with me as I do the workouts. But also, there's a human component. We text every day. I text you how much water I'm drinking and what I'm eating, and you do the same. This allows me to see what you're consuming so I can make edits to it. Additionally, every Monday you weigh in, you give me your weight, and I give you a short-term goal for Friday. The journey is hard and becomes much more attainable if you think of it as a lot of little goals instead of one big goal. Unlike these other fat loss programs, this one has a real human involved, me. 
I can adapt workouts and diets to your lifestyle, and there's no DVD or AI that can do that at all. For only $30 a month, you can join the JitFit family and hit that long-term weight goal you haven't seen since forever. Learn more at JitFit.com. Everyone always says that's a great idea. I would definitely use it, and you get all this false confidence on the analytics on, like Facebook analytics, for example. Said we've reached like 20,000 people, and not one person used it. We got literally zero customers. What was the expected amount that you wanted from Kickstarter? Our goal was $10,000. We did like $40,000 the first day, and then $80,000 the next, and then $100,000 the next. So by the end of Wednesday, we were at like 220000 whatever it was. And over the next like three or four days, we, we filled it out to the 350 and then shut it down. So what's the, what's the total number of designs that, off the top of your head? That we've made. So for every single county in Illinois, we have three designs, and there's like over 100 counties. So we've probably got 300 plus different designs that we could put onto shirts or hats. And how many counties have you sold? Um, we have sold probably seven different counties. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. So it's pretty obvious that we didn't need 110. <laughs> Are you an entrepreneur or want to be one? Check out my other podcast called My Startup Journey, where I interview Kellogg startups and hear how they started, what they learned, and their plans for the future. That's My Startup Journey, available on iTunes and Google Play. This segment is called Fit Tip, and it's where I have one minute to explain the data and science behind a fitness tip. There's an initialism in fitness I hate. It's BMI. For those who don't know, BMI is calculated by taking your height in centimeters divided by weight in kilograms squared. We use BMI as a standard of health and fitness, and frankly, it's pretty dumb. Did you know BMI was developed in the 1830s? It was made to explain a set of data points, but it's treated like a predictive calculator. Thanks to a famous physician and insurance companies, BMI took off in the 1970s and was made to be the standard. However, these are my three reasons why it's dumb. Number one, it doesn't differentiate between sex. Men and women have different bodies, but are measured on the same scale. Number two, age also doesn't matter, meaning if you're 19 or 91, you're expected to have the same BMI to be healthy. Number three, there is no input for body composition like body fat, bone density, etc. To give you an example, the rock would be considered obese due to his height to weight ratio, even though most of that weight is muscle. To learn more and read about a better technique, check out the article I wrote through the link in the description. We are back. If you're just tuning in, Laquan shared his personal story of how he used the darkness as motivation. But now he talks about how he actually got into bodybuilding and what that first competition was like. So you do all this stuff, and what made you get into a men's physique? Because I've learned the difference of mm-hmm. of the Lou Ferrigno versus like men's physique stuff. But. So this will take it back then, because like I said, I'm kind of a complex fitness person, right? This actually goes back to the, the DBZ days. Um, I always liked you know, watching the transformations on those shows and stuff like that. And then when I was a junior in high school, I was playing football for the first time. So now I need to put on size. So I'm in the gym and there's all these guys that are bigger than me. I liked the way doing pull motions made me feel. 
Um, I was always good at deadlift, always good at rowing for some reason. I loved all that stuff. Um, and so when I was back from school in 2012, when I started to export like that, that winter, that was when I started meeting bodybuilders and talking to them every day and training with them. So instead of running with my track team like I was the year before, I was training with these bodybuilders every day and I started getting bigger, I started getting stronger and I'm like, well, I, I'm not gonna go the route to become a heavyweight, a super heavy, because I would have to be like 350 pounds at my height, not going that route. So I got into men's physique. It was relatively new at the time. You know, I was a big YouTube fan, so I was watching people like Steve Cook and other like men's physique competitors who were trainers online and they all had the ideal body type, if you will, right? The beach body type look and I was you know, single, going through some things. I was like, you know, I kind of want to look like that. Like, training's going well. I'm learning a lot about this industry. And I got into it, and I did my first show um, in 2013, um, November, um, the Ironman Invitational, I think it's called. It's called. It was very fun. I think I ended up placing, like, seventh in my class, but it was my first one. I was still very skinny, but, like, I had these, like, block abs from my diet. Like, I brought my abs out on, like, ridiculous level and made me place well. And... I competed for about two more years after that. I didn't really like how subjective bodybuilding is. I realized going through it that it is, though your physique matters, it is subjective in the sense of like, people want who they know to win shows. I was never personally affected by this, but I saw when I'm on stage with four guys and I might be third, but I look at the first and second and I'm like, I don't know, man, second looks like he should've got first to me, but it's subjective, right? Like, what are the judges looking for that day? And it's hard for me to con to rationalize dieting for 16 weeks for what you might want today. Today, you might want a Big Mac. Tomorrow, you might want a McChicken. How can I train to be both? And I, you know what I'm saying? Like, it doesn't make sense. So, um, that's the hardest part of it. But I just, I enjoy the camaraderie and how nice everyone is in that world. Like, there's some battles online, guys that don't like each other, but honestly, backstage at a show, it's unlike anything I've ever seen. Even in track, you have issues where people are kind of like, like you again, you know? But in bodybuilding, no matter the division, everybody's like, hey man, what's up? Yo, I got some gummy bears, you need that sugar rush? Let's get it, like, that's something you wanna share? Like, you need help with your tan? Like, that, that community is what I fell in love with. Because no matter what, you guys in your same division, gonna same height class, they still want to train with you. They still want to be, they still want to be your friend. They want to go get food with you when it's off season. They want to go, you know, grab a drink with you. They want to be friends. And then when it's time to get on stage, they'll stand right next to you and pose. And you're smiling. You're laughing. When you do our back pose, we turn back to the stage. You're talking to the guy next to you. You're like, man, these lights are hot as hell today, man. Or you see that judge wasn't even looking at me. I know, man. I saw it. Like, yeah, keep posing. though, keep doing your thing. You're having conversations with these guys. That's and then afterward, you go hang out. I mean, there's some animosity. Sometimes you get guys who are elbowing and stuff, but that's anything that's competitive, right? But you can be fully competitive in bodybuilding, but still not be a jerk. And I think that's awesome. In football, you're spitting in people's faces, gouging eyes, twisting helmets. and basketball, you're scratching and you're throwing people out of bounds. But in bodybuilding, it's you're just getting up there and showcasing what you did for the past four months. That's, that's so it. funny to hear that when you're, when you're flexing, showing your back muscles that you two are like, Hey, so what you do today? Oh, it's a good week. <laughs> it's like no one knows that that's happening. <laughs> You'd be surprised. You know, some guys, some guys are arguing. Some guys are like, you know, I'm going to kill you this time. But my experience has always been, you know, I've done five shows. It's always been just nice, you know, cool energy. Even at the Arnold this past uh, March, I didn't know any of these guys. And we're backstage 
all just happy to be there. We're like, yo, like look at the screen. Like we see, you know, they have a, a live stream of us about to go on stage, and it's like that's that's us. Like that's weird. Like there's all thousands of people out here. This is the big pro stage. Like we're here. Like this is cool to be here, and um, that's what I found to be the best part about competing. Just the community around it. All right. So your first competition. What what made you do it? I was really into it on YouTube, and like I was, I went from you know my college culture to this gym where everybody was bodybuilding or doing something bodybuilding related, and um, I loved it. I loved the feeling, and I was dealing with my previous issues from earlier the last year. And bodybuilding made me feel good. It was fun exploring how different foods manipulate my body. How you know eating a certain amount of carbs, I'm somehow 15% stronger than if I don't eat. Like sure. learning learning about fitness in general as a PT as I'm bodybuilding it made it helped, made it easier for me to connect the dots and learn how the body works gotcha. so and it was kind of like a full immersion thing for me well and what was the name of the competition again um it's called the I think it's called the Midwest Open now but it was called um Iron Man okay here in Chicago the Copernicus Center up in Albany Park so you do this how how long do you prep for this I prepped nine weeks the first time nine weeks and what were you before nine weeks before your um I kind of grew into the show so I was probably like because you said you hit 180 I feel like I feel like I was 185 at the show date and I may have started at 195 because I was kind of bulking kind of puffy I think that's what I ended up getting on stage at but I remember like the next day after the show I was I was like 191 again you know what your body fat percentage was nine weeks out (laughs) definitely wasn't at four percent no I don't remember I'd say somewhere between 12 and 15. Wow. And then dropping a four. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, somewhere I, between 12 and 15. Somewhere. Yeah. I could wait for my competitions, and I get down to, like, six. I mean, I understand drinking a ton of water and then just cutting it out, and then you just everything starts showing, so I get it, too. I think what helped me the most was the fact that I was a busser and a trainer at the same time. I was a busser at uh, Crosby's Kitchen on Southport. It was new at the time. It had just opened. Um, and I was a busser, so I was always by this open flame all day, running plates in and out of the oh, kitchen. And they would always give you like free food at the end of the night, and so or at the end of your shift. So I would work double, so I would get two meals. I would get like a like a chicken meal, like because they have rotisserie chickens all day. So I would probably split a rotisserie chicken every day, crush that, and my carbs were pretty low. I didn't know much about it at the time. I had one certification. I was very new to the game, but I was learning as I went along. And the restaurant was so supportive. I mean, like, I would have headaches and stuff, and they'd be like, hey, like, like go sit down for a minute. We, you know, I, I know you're putting yourself through a lot, and I think that's why I came in so conditioned is because I was working 60, 70-hour weeks between the gym and the and there. Yeah, it was great. Uh, I was about six, yeah, about six, 490 pounds, uh, maybe a little less, man, somewhere between 185 and 190. Um, my body fat was, I think, 4 to 5%, but I'm so tall that that's not big. That's not big at all at that height. Like... I still looked like a skinny kid on stage because at my height class, it's six feet and up. So I, I, I'm new to this. Uh-huh. It's by height classes? So at high the classes? amateur level in men's physique, just like women's bikini and women's figure, most of the women's divisions, it's by height. So like there's A, B, A, B, C, and D class typically, and there's different height ranges. So like 5'6 five, to 5'8, five, 5'8 five, to 5'10, five, 5'10 five, to 6 feet, 6 feet and up. Oh. So they do six your feet height. Up. Right. Oh. So at six four, I'm standing next to a guy who might be five eleven and three quarters, but wanted to get in that six foot range because they know they're gonna have to show a little bit more size. Um, 
and myself, you know, he's 200 pounds, 3% body fat, and I'm 191 with four inches of height difference. Yeah, you know, he's gonna look. Right, but it also, though, the crazy part is, show to show, I might wipe the floor with him in Oshkosh, Wisconsin, because those judges wanna see uh, California boy style, like, because you're wearing board shorts and men's physique, right? They wanna see, like, mm. hot dude on the beach. But then you might go somewhere like in Texas where they're like, I want to see muscle. Like Texas is big on like muscle. So it's like, all right, well, let's see how much muscle you have. So that shorter guy might beat me. That's why I mean how subjective no it is. So that's why people are like, oh, politics. It's not politics per se. It's just what the judges want. Preference. That day. I've seen judges judge completely different. The same person judge completely different at different shows in the same town. I had no clue. That's how that worked. It just depends wow. on what they want and where the industry wants the division to go. But how do you even move between height classes? Because your height is, like, I can't grow another inch if I no, want to grow. No, so I, so me, I have no hope, right? But there are guys who are like, like, remember the height classes are only by two inches usually. Yeah. So if you're like five eleven and three quarters, when you're getting your height measured, what if oh, the what slouch. if the thing isn't high enough, right? So like, yeah. you might be in C class at one show and D class at another. So like. But the judges judging, again, they look for different things at different shows. So it's, and again, the industry's changed. Physique, when it first started, was more about being like a fitness model. It was more of like a fitness model division because the MPC was trying to compete with WBFF, which was a competing division that had a model division. And they were making all of this money. So the MPC is like, hey, I want to make some money. And this isn't confirmed, but this is what all everyone says on like the blogs. So the MPC makes men's physique, and you're comparing the two. And I, okay, this is great. But then physique, the, the time it was only men's physique and open bodybuilding were the only two things you can do. So you had guys who were bodybuilders that could never quite make it, trying to shrink down to physique so they could still get their pro card. So then you have these physique guys, you know, they want us to be skinnier at first. And now over the years, a lot of the pro physique guys look like little, like baby bodybuilders. Like I don't mean to, any of my friends who hear this, you're not a baby bodybuilder, but I'm saying like you look like, I mean, you put these guys next to bodybuilders, they're slightly smaller than the heavyweights. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That shouldn't be the case. Yeah. And, you know, and so now they also have a division called Classic Physique, which is in the middle of men's physique and open bodybuilding. So now the lines are even more blurry because now you have guys who do men's physique and then sometimes classic and then sometimes open. They'll do it all in the same show. You can cross over in a lot of shows. And is there a dimension for age too? Yes, yeah, so there's masters and like regular okay, cool. and then teen, but. And masters is 30 or something? Masters, I think, is 35 and up. Okay. Yeah, but a lot of guys will do masters and open because open is like the yes. normal age. So like then you have guys on stage six times in one show. Yeah, jiu-jitsu same, right? You can have you can have masters is 30 and above and you have open, but you can technically have someone who's going to compete in masters and the open and you have with a uniform, without a uniform, they can compete the whole day. So mm -hmm. I, I get what you're saying very well too. So you do this competition and I have to ask, why, why do so many of these competitions, why do people get tanned? the lights of the stage are so bright. So if I was to go on the stage myself without a tan, um, I would look, I would be washed out. You wouldn't be able to see the lines. Oh. It's about showing the lines that your muscles have. So that tan, along with those bright lights, show more definition. So if you don't tan, less definition is shown no matter what your complexion is naturally. You have to have a certain like level of darkness on I was you. I like, why are they getting so tan? It's a weird thing. So you get tanned. Mm -hmm. <laughs> You go to this competition, mm -hmm. and what did you have to do? Like, what what was it? You had to do these poses. Yeah, you just pose on stage. On um, men's physique, it's pretty simple. There's four poses. It's 
front, side, side, back. And I heard that, because I watch a lot of documentaries too, that right before going on, people consume a bunch of sugar. Mm-hmm. To, That's why I was making the joke, the reference of the gummy bears. Yeah, so you have uh, some, you have simple sugars that digest quickly. Um, you throw those down and it helps you get a better pump. So okay. a pump is when the blood goes to your muscles, giving it a more round, full shape. So the great thing about being a men's physique is you don't show your legs as much because um, you're wearing board shorts. So you can pound away at your upper body movements right before you go on stage to get that nice full round look. It's all about symmetry and being full. So you eat your, some people it's Reese's, some people it's gummy bears, you know, some people it's Snickers. What's like yours? You. Reese's. That's why I came, that's why I said it. Yeah. So, you know, I love Reese's, you know, eat like, you know, two or three Reese's peanut butter cups. You're still not drinking water, but for myself, I have to put a little water in my mouth or else I'm going to like, be like that, you know, so go out there and hear your poses when they tell you. So you go out, you go out twice. So the first time you go is pre-judging. So you go out for pre-judging. That's where the real show happens, actually. So pre-judging, you go out, um, you'd say there's 20 people in your class that do first call out. First call out are the people who are more than likely going to be top five or six, like depending on how big the class is. Second call outs, you still have a chance to get in the first call out if you dominate your call out. Third call out is like, you're here, you know, you're better than who's left, but you're not doing well. And then last call out is everyone who's left, right? Um, I've been in all levels. Um, it's pretty demoralizing being in the last call out when yeah. you when you try really hard. Uh, it It's just like, what did I even do this for? Yeah. But then you remember that like you didn't do it for them, you did it for yourself and you still look great. So like it, it comes back later. But and then when you come back to finals, you do your solo routine, which is usually just you doing all four poses still. Now it's gotten a little more dancey. I mean, it's cool, but like I don't really see the point in like swaying my shoulders weird mm-hmm. and like hitting the pose like I look good or I don't. So some guys are into flowing. I'm just more of a straight on like power type move. Yeah. Um, uh, I wouldn't say it's worked in my favor. I don't know. This is my first show in two years that I just did in um, in March, so I will be competing again. Though. And, and are those poses? I've heard they're like physically strenuous. Well, when you're at three percent body oh. fat and you're flexing, and there's hot stage lights, I mean, you're sweating the water that's already out of your system, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so you're sweating and you're hitting these poses, and you're trying to keep your abs as hard as possible. Um, you're flexing a little bit, but at that point you should be so defined that you shouldn't have to flex. If you're still flexing really, really hard, you probably didn't diet properly. That's just my personal opinion. Um, holding your abs is something that you have to do, but in terms of everything else, very cool. it should be done already. So your first competition, yeah. uh, how did you place? I think it was seventh or eighth in my class. Pretty cool. Yeah. Pretty good for the first one. And then you just hooked. Yeah, it was. I did a couple shows right after, ranging from third place finish all the way to a 15th place finish. Um, yeah, it was fun. So what's the future trajectory then? Are you going to continue going? You're only 26. Yeah. So you have a lot of times to keep moving through this Hopefully. Phase. Yeah. Is, is that the goal? That are you going to try to move up more? Do you want to stay in men's physique? I'm going to stay in men's physique. I think it's fun. Um, I don't know if I necessarily have like Olympia goals. Um, which is like the highest, the biggest show. Mm-hmm. Um, I just want to get my pro card probably and just have fun with it. I enjoy the dieting process for me. I feel like I'm more dialed in in life when I have something pretty big to train for. Whether it's a marathon or a physique show, it's the same mindset for me, just different actions leading up to it. Um, so I will be competing in Wings of Strength here in Chicago, uh, I think for first or second week in July. 
Um, and then I plan on doing the Olympia Amateur, which is the amateur show at the Mr. Olympia contest in September. Cool. Um, because I just love traveling for this stuff, so I'm going to definitely do those two shows. I'll run sh the Chicago Marathon and New York Marathon this year, and that'll probably be about it. What's one piece of bad advice you've heard that has guided you in the wrong direction? And what's a good piece of advice that you would share? Cool. So bad advice, you know, as I think I touched on this earlier, is cutting out any whole food groups. Um, I've heard, you know, I've even seen trainers tell clients and even tell me when I was a new trainer, oh, just have them go on a liquid cleanse. You know, and I'm just like, at the time, I'm like, oh, okay, like that makes sense. Uh, I don't know. I'm like 20 years old. I guess that works. Like, I, don't, I guess if that'll help. Um, or overuse of fat burners. You know, telling people to take all this caffeine just to have them looking like they're on drugs, you know, cracked out for a weight loss competition. That doesn't, like, that doesn't, that doesn't help. So I just, I, one thing I like to tell clients outside of that though is learn what works for your body, learn your body, get, get the, um, get allergy testing done, find out what you're allergic to. A lot of times people don't understand why they might eat a piece of chicken and bloat. You might be allergic. You might have an allergy to that. And that's a loose example, but there's some things that you have been able to eat your whole life that you're still mildly allergic to that will stop your progression in fitness. Um, another piece of advice I would give is stop comparing yourself to people on Instagram. Mm -hmm. I had a client who um, has recently fell off a little bit, but she said, you know, she would text me all these pictures of girls on Instagram and I would have to like sit there with her and be like, you don't understand. Those are a Photoshop two. There's a team of people that put those pictures together because that's how that person makes money. They have 10 million followers for a reason. It's a company at this point. Like, don't compare yourself to what she looks like because that's just not, that's not even real. And they're taking photos in one shot and they reuse those photos throughout the whole year. Exactly, so they look lean year-round and yeah. no, no one's like that year-round. So those would be my two biggest things. Don't cut out entire food groups um, and don't compare yourself to Instagram because it's not worth it. It's not real. There you have it. That's Laquan Bailey. Personal trainer, bodybuilder, runner, competitor, and anime lover. If you want to see some of his remarkable pictures, you can follow him on Instagram at quanfit, Q-U-A-N-F-I-T-T, -T, where he responds well to direct messages, or through his website at trainwithquan.com. I hope his bio motivates you to get up, get out, and get goals whenever you need that boost. Until next time, go get fit. And when you're not when you're not training people, are you on Pokemon Go? I did play Pokemon Go for like a full year. Honestly, I loved it. Um, then they had like some weird update, and I was like, I don't like this anymore. Yeah. Man, there was this thing called Pokemon Candy, which was to level up your Pokemon. Like that was basically just steroids. I'm oh, gonna... it was clear steroids. Did you like a hundred <laughs> candies? Get a rare candy, get a cheat code to get more rare candies, yeah. and you just like blow up your Pokemon. Yeah, I'd, I'd be fighting. I'd be like, okay, well now I got. Bulbasaur, Ivysaur, whatever, like at a hundred level, because like I just fucking juice this guy up like shit. So yep. like, all right, now go crush this. And you're now like, and I beat the whole squirrel. game. No yeah. one can touch me. Yeah, I loved it. I was the same <laughs> way.